0: Welcome to the Lot Carry Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goldley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, he's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Ralph Douglas West, founder and senior pastor of the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas.
1: We're excited to welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimage of Striving and Thriving podcast, Pastor Ralph Douglas West, who for more than three decades has served the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas, and been a blessing uh, to people of faith all across the country and throughout the world. So Pastor West, welcome uh, to our podcast. We're excited to have opportunity to visit with you and to talk about flourishing in ministry today.
2: Absolutely, my honor, David Goldie. You know you're one of my favorite people. And whenever you say I need to arrive and be at some place, then I'm willing to do it. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to uh, talk about our pilgrimage together. I love the language that you're using, uh, striving and thriving. So uh, I look forward to our time together. I always do.
1: Now, in our striving and thriving pilgrimages, more than 50 pastors have been on pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. Our assumption is that every round does not go higher and higher. The flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving. And the flourishing in ministry that we envision can be understood like a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, sometimes leaves may be falling away, and sometimes there are only branches still. The tree can be healthy and thriving. So, given that kind of idea, can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you?
2: When I think about flourishing, and I think about uh, the very beginnings of ministry, when before a tree comes into full bloom, it begins with a seed. That's dried, it looks almost desiccated until it's planted in the earth and then germinates. I think it's real uh, important to say to pastors and ministers who serve churches that just because you don't see the cosmetic evidence or the superficial evidence of flourishing, that it doesn't mean that you're not flourishing or growing are becoming. I think that's very important, particularly when we use so many of the uh, cultural gauges to say this is what success looks like. Uh, Almost all the time when you hear somebody talking about flourishing in ministry, they eventually uh, degenerate into language like architecture, square footage, numbers of people that arrive who they preach to, always a demographic. And I'm not sure that that's the best way because uh, we had a tree in our neighborhood when we lived uh, in North Houston. We still live in North Houston, but it's a very wooded area. And one day uh, in our neighborhood, we actually came home. We thought that there had been a a crime had been committed because they had the yellow caution tape wrapped around this one particular area. So we were redirected uh, around uh, back streets not to interfere with all this heavy equipment that had moved in. We later found out that one of the huge trees, uh, it was beautiful. It had all of all the trappings of uh, being healthy it had been eaten out. The very part of it had been eaten out by termites and that it was so hollow that the people were afraid that it may fall over you know, and damage that you would just destroy the house or the houses next to it. And I never got that image out of my head. I thought about how often when we look at ministry and we talk about how big and broad we are, sometimes the very soul of a place can be eaten out by spiritual termites. And it's just the next storm away, or just the next pressure against it that can push it down. So uh, I think that it's very important that... Uh, in flourishing we don't start gauging what we do in ministry by what social or cultural standards or even what he what certain ecclesiologists say about oh oh that's really a, a, a great church because it might not be as great as people think it is uh, one last thing when you talk about the uh image use the image of the tree and flourishing my mind immediately goes to the conversation that Paul is having with the Corinthian church about leadership. And the first thing that he holds up, or one of the images he holds up is your image. He holds up agriculture. And he says, now don't forget now, somebody plants and somebody waters. And then he said, the Lord gives the increase. I wish that I had understood how to read Corinthians uh, pastorally and how to read it as a leader when I was a much younger preacher, to remind myself that before you got here, Ralph, where somebody planted, somebody had planted, and uh, I mean, it was a long history—two generations, three generations of people who had been there before I got there. But I made the arrogant and uh, the arrogant and self-absorbing mistake to believe. That uh, what I was doing in a matter of two or three years was more than what they had done in ninety plus years. And anybody that assumes that they've done more in two or three years than a church that's been in existence for ninety years—I mean, it's the epitome of arrogance. And uh, and again, I wish I had the intelligence and the spiritual maturity to understand that I was living in an era that those people didn't have. the Privilege. So they they had come through Jim Crowism. They they had come through segregation. They had come up before uh, the voters' right and the Civil Rights Act. You know, and they survived and provided a church for me to thrive. I just didn't have the maturity to really understand that then. I I wish I I, I knew that. And to thank God for those who strived for us to be able to thrive. And it may be even some that's listening that's saying, man, right now I feel like I'm I'm striving to make preparation for somebody to strive. And you probably are, you know, cause that that's that cyclical way that
1: ministry work. But that's kind of what it looks like for me. We've been working around something that we call a formula for flourishing, not the formula, but a formula for flourishing. Our formula for flourishing holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields ministry content, then there's a higher probability for flourishing. So we don't assume that you could just drag and drop a model from somebody else and that it works. That's kind of like expecting a palm tree to flourish in Maine. So can you talk to us a little bit about how your context of service informs your content of ministry?
2: Our church is in northwest Houston. We have uh, three campuses. Uh, Our city is very diverse. You talk about leadership capacity. We're in a pandemic at the same time. And so the leadership capacity, as you, I named three things, had to make a decision in that diverse context to say, do we reopen? No. Is I giving up in attendance? No. Do we help people? Yes. So we can't stop being church because the building is closed. Or that we've had to take on a new model of what church looks like. Because now you have brothers and sisters who are hurting and really hurting and homeless and displaced and say, can we help those people? We can help. But I challenge our church (laughs) that giving is not what it is when we all together say, I need you to give toward missions. And every dime that you give toward missions is going to this mission project. None of this is going to be used for anything other than this. And if we have to close the doors on the building, then we'll just say, Lord, we thank you that you gave it to us as long as we did. We built it for somebody else. And my members know I mean that. I really mean that. I'm not having a heart attack behind it. I'm not going to pass out about it. Because my ministry is not tied up into architecture and numbers and size. So so, so the leadership capacity of me, this pandemic has created a new context.
1: Sometimes, when people look at pastoral leaders, thought leaders uh, who are influential, uh, people sometimes look with almost uh, stars in their eyes. Um, but would you? mind sharing with those who are listening some area of leadership that you have needed to develop as a pastor and how did you do that? I'm going to go back to
2: the beginning when uh, we planted uh, Hollow. I-, I hadn't seen a model of it. I knew that there were models of it. But the one area that I wanted to really develop as a pastor was my men's ministry. I really, really wanted to do that. I wanted to build it for several reasons. Uh, there, were, there were boys like me who had grown up and didn't have a father, but thank God, for the, the black church is such a beautiful place. I, I tell people, I, I have students, I tell them, if you haven't ever worshiped in black church, you need to do that, I said, because it's, it's a great experience. I said, you have to go yourself to take away the stereotypical trappings that people try to place on me. Because the African-American church, it's a beautiful experience. Because there, I learned very, very, as a boy, I, I never cried or pouted about my dad not being at home because I had a lot of other daddies, you know, uncles in our church who was deacons. I mean, you know, my biological uncles who were chairmen of the deacons. And and then I had uh, cousins who were grown and uncle, uh, more uncles. And then eventually I started taking on, you know, dads and everything else. I knew then what Jesus meant. He said, if you follow me, you're not losing nothing. You pick up new family members along the way. So I wanted men who could Kind of feel that, not you know, just just to be that kind of presence. And uh, and I never forget a uh, lady in my church. She she belonged to a predominantly uh, Anglo church, and uh, her son was growing up. And she left there because she said, "I wanted my son to be reared around strong African American men." And uh, as a result of that, that the, 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 her, her, her son and his first cousin grew up to be very, very healthy young men, even now, uh, and responsible in this community. So uh, men's ministry was one that I had to go about doing it. But I didn't want to go about doing it uh, as some, uh, some sham, you know, just men, 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 you know. I just started a Bible study. On on Saturdays, and it was my Bible study, and I, I I didn't I didn't I just just fundamental teachings through the Scripture, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I learned then though that though men loved those Bible studies, what they really enjoyed more than my teaching was the fellowship with other men. So I started building in big fellowship. Now you know you always have a group of men who are who are more mature, that they don't need, per se, a lot of the fellowship. They just want to study it and deepen in the scripture. This calls attention. So I had to say to some of the men who I had personal disciple, I said, uh, you're not being fatter than them. You had the privilege of having me at your disposal weekly where we sit down and we just study the scripture In the middle of our fellowship, I said, but remember, we fellowshiped as much as we studied. So what I picked up and developed in that men's ministry is that they needed Bible study, but they needed each other to fellowship with. They needed each other to confide in. They needed each other as young fathers, single dads, that kind of stuff. And then at the other group, as they got older, as they were facing health challenges, they needed other men who they could talk to had been through what they were going through. Then you had that group that was having problems with children's so or sons and tensions. They needed that or they're going through a divorce, a separation i learned that the, the purpose of that ministry at first was just i want to teach men strong men i start discovering it is true if you got strong men in a church you can have a strong church Now, this is not taking away the importance of women i know you know that because i mean i mean uh, where would our churches be without sisters now i mean I, I, that's that's I, that if anybody don't understand that you know, but 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 men needed so much attention in church. They they really did. Uh, if it was any ministry, I took delight in uh, really developing and spending time with the a men's ministry.
0: A word to our listeners: Lot carry's pilgrimages of striving and thriving. Podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry Initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview.
1: Since 1897, the Lap Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world through prayer partnership, financial support, and technical assistance. We come alongside indigenously-led communities to support ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You can invest in churches, schools, clinics, and more throughout the world. Visit us at lockcary.org That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for your partnership in this ministry.
0: Welcome back to the Lot carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague Rev. Dr. David Emmanuel Goatley interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Rev. Dr. Ralph Douglas West Founder and senior pastor of the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas.
1: It sounds like you also learned how to adapt while you were doing ministry. Uh, it sounds like you you know you started out with we're going to do a men's ministry and and walk through the scriptures, but you discovered a new need in the middle of meeting a need, and then was able to adapt. It sounds like you had to learn how to adapt. Would that be something that you have experienced over time in different areas, that while you're serving, you have to learn how to adapt? I have. Uh, um, my my auntie was the
2: church secretary, and, uh, <laughs> and she would at the end of the day, when you typed out the program, you know, you put the whole service, I, I missed that. And then the pastor had an asterisk at the bottom. You already know where it's going. <laughs> and that an asterisk every week was subject to change by the Holy Spirit's direction. <laughs> you know, you know. I tell my children, I said, I, I sure hate that you-, you didn't get a chance to grow up in, in-, in the real black church, man. I say, everything's so sophisticated. Now, I said, but buddy, let me tell you something. Man, when we grew up in, I said church was church, you know. And I remember that asterisk, subject to change. Man, we used to laugh about it. We had no idea. And you come back, and that's kind of what happened in ministry. You know, you have an idea that this is what we need to do. And I believe the person and the, the pastor and the church leader that doesn't understand or the spiritual director to say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm picking up cues that we might need either the pullover or we may need to take another route it may take us longer to get where we're going but I think we need to add we need to add some sightseeing on our way to where we're going because we're gonna miss a lot of people along the way and it was then I mean when we when we made those adaptations where these different groups of men and we had to then say okay we can no longer just be in one room, we have to start saying, Do you trust you know, so and so to teach this group of this age and this group. And that's how I just kind of grew, man. I, I remember uh when our men's retreats we would man, we would average like four hundred eighty or uh, almost five hundred men just on a retreat every year. A treat. I mean we going down to Trinity Pines and we'll take over the retreat center and you know we sleeping you know, you and I, we did our work with SBC, so we know about these retreats. And it, it, it wasn't like you was at some, you weren't at the Hampton Hotel, all
1: right? <laughs> you know? The, the, we if, didn't have all the amenities. Come
2: on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and those were the best days, you know? And so that group now has aged as I have. And uh, and they still do They still do those retreats, not with the impact like that group did, trying to bring a new generation on, but to sit down and say to and when they would hear those men talk about it. And I think what really attract the young men that really come to men's ministry now is guys that say to them, and they're in their 60s, and they say, wait a minute, man, you got to understand, I've been there for 30 years. I was in my early 30s, in my 20s when I came to this church, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, what? Say, yeah, I've been around here that long, you know? So I've grown up around here. So that, that becomes the other influence for, for your, your ministry, that generational ministry. They sit down and say, oh, you thought you thought I, I didn't have hair always, <laughs> you know? They sit down and say, no, that's us there. And now, and because that's where we are now. We're saying to the group behind us, talking about adaptability is to say, to them, look, man, we, we are at a place now where we are discipling that immediate group beneath us to say, it's time for you to take the lead. I've actually challenged all my deacons and deacon family ministry, as well as our staff people, uh, to say, who have you selected that you are mentoring to take your place?
1: Well, I was going to say that you talk about the life of your church with such joy and laughter. Is there such thing as something that brings you the most joy uh, as, as being a pastor? My, my greatest joy
2: is when I see somebody come make a decision for Jesus Christ. They're clueless about the, the faith, and they, but they feel this that God has called them to himself. And then you turn, and over the years you watch them grow and develop. And the next thing you know, they're in the you know they're in a ministry, they're leading a ministry, they're teaching a ministry, they're getting married, they're having children, and you watch them grow from then to what they become. I mean that that that's the great that is the great joy. The heartbreak of that is is what I just experienced over the weekend. a young man in my church, 27 years old, was murdered. He had not strayed away from the church, anything like that. He had gone off to college, military, started his own business at 27, parking his rig, going to his car, was robbed and killed, 27 years old. And uh, that, that that's the hardest thing right there, to sit there, because I remember when he was born. So the so the great joy is to watch these people grow up in the Lord, you know, and really become. And some of them go off into the ministry and things like, like that, which is that's a whole other excitement. Uh, and then uh, and then the saddest time is when something like that happens, whether it's tragic or then or life just ends suddenly for some reason. That that's the hard time, you know. That's really I, 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 as much joy as I've had. I've had recently. I've shed a lot of tears as a pastor over, over certain people, man. It's, uh, it, it, you know, so you pastoring, you really do as, uh, that image as a mother and a father, as a mother and a father, you do become parental in parenting, uh, pastoring people, uh, if you love them, you know, and, uh, and you and I think once you learn once you learn that they're God's people and he's giving you a stewardship over the church to care for them, I believe that's where you that's where your attitude change you know you you find out that you don't have to be you know don't, don't you know don't don't be a rancher, don't be a cattle driver you know a herdsman all that kind of stuff be be a, you know be a loving shepherd i i I, I hear myself say things like that now and I can hardly believe it. You know, it's like, man, is that you saying those things? And uh, But the Lord will give you, he'll change your heart if you uh, go to him, really pray, and ask, ask him to lead you about the church and love him. He'll, he'll change your heart for the church.
1: What advice would you like to give to our listeners about what they can do to flourish in ministry?
2: mm uh, to those that are in pastoral ministry, one of the ways that you can flourish in ministry is not so much to barnacle yourself to a person that you say, "Oh, I just admire that ministry," but to to live, to live before God in prayer, live with God in the Scripture and then to direct people out of the way that God is directing you. I really believe that's one of the keys to flourishing in ministry, to to live before God in prayer with God and the people in scripture, then spiritually lead them or pastorally lead them. And of course uh, I'm always big on this and I'll go back and end it with the fr- where I started. Get your pastor. Not, not, a, not, I'm not trying to be funny. Not a covering, you know, not a spiritual father. Get your pastor and say, this is my, this is my pastor. And then that pastor can become your covering, your spiritual father, or mother, but get you, get your, pa- I, I really believe that. Get your, get your pastor. You need somebody and somebody that you respect to the point that when you're having challenges or celebrations that they can respond to you. So that's one way uh, for those that say, but uh, my, my, my place I want to really thrive is in preaching. And I would say then uh, make preaching your priority, you know, make it your priority. Uh, listen to good preaching. Uh, one of the problems, a lot of people don't first in preaching the way they think they want to, they, they don't know the difference between good and great. You know, Cause sometimes you think that, Crowd response is the indicator of great preaching, where it may not be. It just may be somebody whose ability to be eloquent in rhetoric. You want somebody with content that that lasts, content that lasts, somebody that really gives you base to life, you know. And then if you're talking about flourishing in ministry, saying, but man, I wanna, I wanna be in ministry and I wanna flourish. I'm a staff person. I'm involved in it. And then I would say the same thing about uh, in preaching or the other I I would say get in a place where you can thrive. And and I mean by that, get in a place where people are open enough that when they recognize your gift, that they're willing to let you really explore those gifts. But then you have to be humble enough to live within the structure of where you want to thrive. You know, because... You, can't, you just can't be a maverick because you got gifts, you know. I have gifts and I want to teach. It's like, well, look, well, you got to go through. So even now, if somebody said, I, I, I joined a church and Pastor Wes is in our church now and I want to teach, then if the pastor says, or the director of education or mission says, you have to go through these classes, that humility says, if that's what I have to do to teach, that's what I have to do. And if you do that, I think you're always
1: always thriving and flourishing we've been uh, in a great conversation today with Pastor Ralph Douglas West the pastor for over three decades of the church without walls and we are thankful for the time that we've been able to visit today thank you for the generosity of your wisdom uh, and for your ministry and for your faithfulness we're grateful for this time together man thank you Dave thank you
0: Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen online at lotcarry.org.